Welcome to Revival from the Bible, a daily devotional podcast designed to help more people get into God's Word and get more out of the Word. I'm Ben Blakey. It's Saturday, January 16th, 2021. When smartphones burst onto the scene, they forever changed the access that we have to information. And now with basically a computer in our pockets, uh, we have access to all kinds of information right there at a moment's notice, right there at our fingertips. And that includes financial information uh, to see what, what markets are doing or how particular stocks are doing. Now, when I got my first iPhone as a young adult fresh out of college, that information didn't matter as much to me. I wasn't really worried about a portfolio. I was just trying to figure out how do I pay bills on my own for the first time in my life and get my first apartment and things like that. But every once in a while, I would hang out with my recently retired uncle, and he cared a lot more about his portfolio than I did. But he did not at that time have a smartphone. So we would be together. Like, for instance, we'd be out playing golf and he would say, hey, Ben, how's Chevron doing today? How's how's Pepsi doing today? And he would expect me to take out my phone and to see how some of those particular companies were doing in the stock market on that given day. Why? Why did he care about these companies? Why was he asking me to use this smartphone to get this information to him instantly? Well, because that's where his money was. And where our money is, that instantly we're interested in that. And we see a principle that Jesus teaches today that where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. I mean, he would even ask me some, my uncle would even ask me sometimes, have you been drinking Pepsi? You know, when I would drive up to be with him and my grandpa, did did you get your gas at at Chevron, right? He cared about these places because he was literally invested in them. What is your heart invested in? And more importantly, what is the master of your life? Let's start today in Matthew chapter six, verses 16 through 24. And in starting in verse 19, Jesus tells his followers, do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal, but lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys and where thieves do not break in and steal for where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. It's important that we see it's not the other way around. It doesn't say where your heart is, there your treasure will be also. It's really saying your heart is going to follow your money. That's the only reason my uncle cared about these companies, right? Because his money was there. That was why I didn't care so much about these things because my money was not there. And we think about these things are whenever we have an investment someplace, we will instantly become more interested. And Jesus is calling his disciples to invest in eternal things, to invest in heaven, and even warning them that the return on the investment is so much more secure than things on earth. Stock markets can crash. Housing bubbles can pop right? But investment in heaven, uh, nothing can really touch that. 
And so I want you today to think even about your own life and even to think about your own investments. Where is your money taking your heart? And certainly, I don't think Scripture is warning us about being wise with our money and making good investments and having proper savings and different things like that. By no means, in many ways, those are wise things to do. But is our money leading us to kingdom causes, to care more about those things? And just imagine, I mean, how that would work. If you're investing by sacrificial giving to your local church, your heart is going to be even more tied up in what God is doing through your church. When you're invested in in supporting missions or or ministries that are designed to get the word of God out and and the gospel to people who need to hear it, your heart is going to care more about how are these ministries doing? What fruit is being born? uh, How are people being reached with the gospel? And, And you'll be even more interested in that when your heart is following where you are making an investment. And this is really saying more than just, hey, where are you invested and where are you focused? Look at how our passage ends today in this last verse, verse 24. It says, no one can serve two masters for either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and money. Who is the master of your life? Is it God or is it finances? And this is a good question to ask all of us, to ask of our own hearts, why are we doing what we are doing? Is it because we want to serve God and be faithful to him and serve our families and serve our communities? Or is it because we want money, we want riches, we want fame or success or whatever it may be? What is the true master in our lives? And it's something that's just important for us to be on guard against. Timothy, Paul in in Timothy reminds us that the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. And we see from scripture, we see as we look out at the world that uh, money and the things that it can buy, it, it likes to try to get its hands on our hearts and tries to captivate our thoughts and our thinking. And it will be a constant battle for us as Christians to make sure, no, God is the master of my life and my investment is in the kingdom and in eternal causes. And one of the best ways we can do that is by putting our money where our mouth is and by being generous to others, by supporting ministries that are supporting the gospel to make sure, hey, my heart is going to follow my investment and God is my master. So it's a good opportunity for us to do a heart check and even just to pray, God, help me steer my heart away from being caught up in materialism or in money and keep my heart fixed on you and let me lead the way with that, even just with my own investments and where I'm caring about and where I'm putting my money. But it really comes down to who is our master? Who are we ultimately going to bow to? Who are we ultimately going to serve? And we see a similar conflict to that as we turn now to Acts chapter 5. Acts chapter 5 and verse 27. And we see there that they were brought before the council. And the council, so this had some kind of political authority because they had arrested uh, the disciples, and they, they bring them to them. And in verse 28, they say, we strictly charged you not to teach in this name. Yet here you have filled Jerusalem with your teaching and you intend to bring this man's blood, talking about Jesus, upon us. But Peter and the apostles answered, we must obey God rather than men. 
The God of our fathers raised Jesus, whom you killed by hanging him on a tree. God exalted him at his right hand as leader and savior to give repentance to Israel and forgiveness of sins. And we are witnesses to these things. And so is the Holy Spirit, whom God has given to those who obey him. And so that that it's not really the answer that the council wanted to hear. And there was a conflict here. Were the apostles going to do what they were being told by these religious and to some extent, civil authorities, or were they going to do what God had told them to do? And they make it clear, we have one master, and that is Jesus. And we have to obey God rather than man. And this brings up some interesting questions where they are clearly disobeying their civil authorities because they feel that that is their Christian duty. And we do see throughout scripture that there are some instances of this. We see other commands clearly in Romans 13 and 1 Peter 2, where we are commanded to submit to the governing authorities. And if you look at both of those passages, the language there is pretty strong that we need to submit to the governing authorities. But we see some examples, notably here in Acts 5, and then especially we think of Daniel and the story of him in the lion's den where he continues to pray, or Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego where they do not bow before the statue. And one thing we should notice about those is in all of those situations, it was a pretty clear choice. They weren't disobeying the government because it was inconvenient to them or they didn't like what they were being told. They felt that it was a clear choice of conviction where we can either honor God or if we follow what the government is telling us to do, we are going to have to disobey God. So that's a good thing for us as Christians as we may weigh matters even of potential civil disobedience where we want to say, hey, the, the clear teaching of scripture is submit to the governing authorities, but When it does come down to, I can obey the authorities or obey God, God is the master and I will follow him every time. I will always choose to be faithful to him. And it's interesting, even as we see those examples, both in the book of Daniel and here in Acts chapter five, another thing that I think we note about Christians who disobey the government, and we also see this as in persecuted Christians throughout history and throughout the world, people who have continued to be faithful to Christ or faithful to evangelize, even when they were told not to, is they make the decision, we will disobey, but they also, throughout history and what we see in scripture is they make the decision that, hey, we will disobey and we will accept the consequences. It's not really a spirit of of revolution and trying to overthrow the civil authorities, but it's, no, we will be faithful to Christ and we are going to obey him and civil authorities. If you have a problem with that, do whatever you need to do to us, right? And we even see the apostles here are, are beaten for this conviction. Daniel was thrown into the lion's den. His friends were thrown into the fiery furnace. And now what can, as Christians, help us to make that kind of stand, to say, I will obey Christ and I will take whatever consequences you give. Well, it really comes down to what we're going to see in some of these other passages, that when we are mistreated, when we see wrong and injustice in our world, how will we respond? And two alternatives we're going to see in these next couple passages are prayer or vengeance. Prayer or vengeance. And first, we're going to see prayer in Psalm chapter 10, where Again, what we see the psalmist here is clearly disturbed. It begins, why, O Lord, do you stand far away? Why do you hide yourself in times of trouble? 
And then we see a thought pattern that we do see sometimes in scripture where he is asking, why does it seem that the wicked are prospering? Why does it seem that people are not doing what God wants, are being unjust, are being unrighteous, and they are getting away with it? And he ultimately brings his prayer to God. He asks God to do something about it. And ultimately, he finds comfort in the character of God and who he is at the end. In verses 16 through 18, it says, The Lord is king forever and ever. The nations perish from his land. What a comforting thought for Christians, that nations and rulers will and have come and gone. They will come and go, but the Lord, he will remain. He is king forever and ever. O Lord, you hear the desire of the afflicted. You will strengthen their heart. You will incline their ear to do justice to the fatherless and the oppressed so that man who is of earth may strike terror no more. And even when you look at the testimony, many times of persecuted Christians, you will see prayers like this in their lives for God to be vindicated. And many times even they ask God to hear their cries. And instead of prayers of vengeance, they are even offering prayers of mercy for their captors, prayers of mercy for their persecutors, even their torturers, that these people would have their eyes opened to the evil of what they are doing and to the beauty of what is offered in the gospel. So we see there a really powerful response of prayer. But then we see a response of vengeance as we wrap up today in Genesis, Genesis chapters 33 and 34. We see kind of a happy ending to the whole episode of Jacob and Esau, where they meet again and are reunited and there's not vengeance there on Esau's part. But then we see an interesting story in chapter 34, where Jacob's daughter Dinah is defiled by a man there in this city of Shechem. And we see that was a clearly evil thing, an unjust, wicked thing that was done to Dinah. But we see how the sons of Jacob respond and how they come up with this plot really to trick this family, that Shechem, and to trick this man who had defiled their sister. And what we see really is two of the brothers, Simeon and Levi, leading the charge. And eventually they kill this man and his whole family who had defiled Dinah. And we see even at the end of the chapter, Jacob saying, this is a problem. And just a sneak peek of what we'll see at the end of the book of Genesis, in kind of his final messages to his sons, Jacob remembers this about Simeon and Levi, and really that they are judged because they acted in anger and in vengeance. And so we see when we are mistreated, how will we respond? By trying to get even? or by lifting it up to God, remembering wicked men and nations will come and go, but the Lord is king forever and ever. And I hope that gets us really to examine ourselves and say, the Lord is king forever and ever. Who's my master? Is it the Lord or is it money or is it myself? Who is the master of my heart today? Thanks for digging into God's word with me today on Revival from the Bible. For more resources, visit revivalfromthebible.com. To learn more about Compass Bible Church Treasure Valley, go to compassbible.tv. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you.